So I've received many gifts in my life, uh, really good ones. It's tough to choose between them. So setting aside the most important gifts like the fact that God saved me for all of eternity and the fact that God has given me a wonderful gifts of a wife and children, uh, parents and in-laws and a church body to serve and worship with, to narrow it down to like a, a physical gift outside of those kinds of things is, is, is tough to figure out. But since you're making me choose, <laughs> about ten years ago, my wife bought me probably the best physical gift that I've received. It was on Father's Day. She bought me a motorcycle. It was beautiful. And it was lots of fun. And I took my wife on rides on that motorcycle and my oldest three children on rides. We had motorcycle dates. Lots of fun. It was tons of fun until it wasn't. In 2017, that fun stopped when I was involved in an accident that took about two years to recover and several procedures, and now my wife won't let me get another one, so the fun has ceased perpetually with regard to motorcycles. I've gotten on my son's dirt bike a few times, which is fun. Brings back just a touch of the feeling, but not nearly the joy of coasting down a side road in the middle of the summer, uh, at any rate, God has provided us with far better gifts than this. In fact, He provides the absolute best gift. For those who have received God's gracious gift of Jesus Christ, you know that this is life. This is real, enduring, eternal life. And those that have received that gift from God don't need a gift receipt. And they don't uh, pine for some better gift because we recognize that it is the greatest gift we could receive. When the Lord Jesus came, He came as a baby. And to the human eye, He appeared to be simply a human baby. But as you know, the Scripture reveals to us and Jesus' life detailed for us that He was not simply a mere human baby. He was God in the flesh. Incarnate. The Word made flesh. Matthew and Luke, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, provide for us a bit of background regarding Jesus' birth. Both of these, Matthew and Luke, provide for us an understanding that Jesus had a right to rule as the King of Israel. With regard to Luke's genealogy, as he traced Jesus' earthly uh, genes, his family tree, he led that, that genealogy all the way back to Adam. Letting us know that Jesus identifies with all mankind of all time. 
Which is why when we read our opening Scripture reading from Luke chapter 2, it talks about there's great joy through the Gospel for all the people. All the people. Jesus came as a glorious representation of the Father as God the Son made flesh. It's an amazing reality that we celebrate at Christmas. And while Matthew and Luke provide us with some insight about Jesus' humanness, His human uh, genealogies, the Gospel of John gives us more of an inside look. As you look at the Gospel of John, you see more of an x-ray, or even further, an MRI, not just of Jesus' body, but of His entire person. And what you'll realize in John chapter 1 unfolds for us very beautifully is that Jesus is God made flesh. And, and He describes Jesus' deity in numerous ways. And so this morning we'll talk about a few of these facets that are revealed in this greatest gift ever given. And next Sunday, one facet that we will focus in on that will really, I think, be encouraging for next week. We have a lot of encouraging truth to consider in the few minutes we have this morning about the greatest gift ever given to us. John will portray for us a number of these facets of who Jesus is and his nature. And he starts off in verses 1 through 3 by telling us that Jesus is the Creator. All right, we're already confused. Why are we confused? Because we know that Jesus, the man, came to earth 2,000 years ago. And we know earth preceded him. (laughs) So, that's confusing. The Son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead, He has created all things. And this passage unveils that for us beautifully. Look at verses 1-3. through It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. This is the ultimate expose, revealing that this one that would come, that did come 2,000 years ago, was already existent before His human body before his babehood took place. He was already in existence. He is the Word. The Word there is logos. It's the, the concept of the, the demonstrated Word. So there's all kinds of Greek words for the word. Word, 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 word. Right. There's word. Graphe means written word. There's rhema, spoken word. Well, the word logos is the word declared, demonstrated, or as we see in this text, the word incarnate. You can see the word coming out and demonstrated. So this word was in the beginning with God. And it says in verse 1, He was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things... What does what all mean? Tough one. 
all. Every atom, every element, every particle, all things were created by him. You know, it's, it's beyond the atomic. Because in the book of Colossians chapter 1, it talks about the things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So now he's talking about the angelic realm. They're incorporeal. I always say it wrong. It's incorporeal. I don't know how to say the word. It means without a body. They don't have a body. There's no material there. So he doesn't just make the the atoms. He even makes the things that are invisible. In fact, you know, as you think about creation, and you think about the fact that the Bible makes it very clear that it was out of nothing, Jesus spoke the world into existence. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And you think about, try to envision yourself, you can't and I can't, but just try. If you were there to observe the Word speaking into existence light. Let there be light. And there was light. The Creator God the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune God. He spoke the world into existence. This is, John is letting us know there's more to this baby in a manger that would become a, a, a toddler, that would become a, a, a pre-adolescent, become an adolescent, would become a young adult, would become an adult. There's more to him than meets the eye. He's, he's been around. He is the ancient of days. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And He spoke the world into existence with His own Word. It's amazing. This passage later on gives us a little definition of what the Word means. Look at verse 14. It says, And the Word, we're defining who this is now, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible talks in numerous places about the fact that God created the the worlds. Genesis 1.1 is a great illustration, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout the New Testament, and here in John chapter 1, as I already referenced in Colossians chapter 1, also in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible attributes the creation to Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. God made flesh. It is amazing when we have this knowledge of who this was that left the throne of heaven and humbled himself to take on human flesh. He is God. He is the Creator. This is the first facet that we see John revealing to us. Additionally, he describes Jesus this way. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Look at verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
In him was life. Without any explanation or development, he just tells us that Jesus is, contains, has life. And that that life has to do with the rest of the world. Life. Let's look a little bit in the Gospel of John at this concept of Jesus as a life giver. Take a look at John chapter 5. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. Jesus went to a city in Jerusalem, a portion of Jerusalem, and He healed a man who was in desperate straits. And all the religious people could do was to quibble about the fact that He did it on the Sabbath. It's amazing what a little bit of knowledge can do to a person when that knowledge is corrupted and misused. When we see Jesus, we want to see what God is telling us about Him. Not quibbling over some bit of trivial information that we think is important. And Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath day, and instead of seeing the power of God at work in his life, they started to figure out, all right, you know, how can we undermine him? Well, we, of course, we see the reason for all that. It's satanic in the fact that in the heart of man, we're broken. And we don't want to see what God is trying to reveal to us. Look at John chapter 5 and verse 20 to start with. It says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Son, as well as the Father, they give life. Look down at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. It's, it's hard to even know where to begin with this other than the fact that every person born into this world is born physically alive. No kidding. But we are born spiritually dead. That is not as accepted. That is not the accepted norm for us to understand that every person born is born spiritually dead. And the only way that we have spiritual life is when God the Father and God the Son grant that life. They give life. This is who they are. They are life givers. That text is clear. He has life. He gives life. Verse 26 again, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. Verse 25, Those who hear will live. Where does this come from? It comes from the power of God. Look at chapter 11. Gospel of John, chapter 11. 
another incredible expose of the nature of the man, Christ Jesus. His friend, Lazarus, was sick. His friends, Mary and Martha, were sending messengers for him to come and heal Lazarus. Jesus eventually got there, and he got there, ready, too late. <laughs> and Lazarus is in, a, is in a tomb. And Jesus said, oh, let's, let's, let's open that tomb up. Remember, remember this, is, this is one of those, uh, kid, kids love to hear this one, Martha's response, by now he stinketh. <laughs> it's been four days. All right. But the, the stone is rolled away. And Jesus calls in, Lazarus, come forth. I could do that all day long. And yes, you know what Lazarus would have done? Zip. Nothing. He would have just laid there, dead. I don't have life. I can't give life. I can't utter life. Only God can give life. Jesus calls forth, Lazarus, come forth. And this physical demonstration of who Jesus is was demonstrated on that day. Lazarus rose up, walked out alive. Physically alive. Because Jesus can give physical life. But even greater, and far more importantly, He gives spiritual life to people who are absolutely dead and dark in their own soul. They don't know God. They don't know the eternal power of God. They don't know about eternal life. But Jesus can call forth and you can hear and your dead spirit can be made a living spirit. How does this happen? It happens according to the perfect power of God through Christ. Take a look, please, at verses 21 and following. John eleven, twenty-one. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, will you read this with me? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and I am the life. Real life. Not this transient life, this temporary life. We are all living it. Some days we enjoy it. Some days we don't. Some days are good. Many days are hard. We're living this life. If you've been living for any period of time, you start to feel some of the effects of life. Sometimes in your head, whether it be stress, anxiety, starting to lose a little bit of your memory, a little bit of your sharpness, or sometimes it's your body. You know, you know your shoulders start to ache, right? 
your back starts to hurt. Your knees start to feel the effects of pounding over the years. Your ankles and your feet, they feel the, 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 the trauma of, of all of what you've accomplished and done in your life. Life, you, you, we all feel it. That's physical. And we all know, because we have all have people that we love that have died, we know that this life is temporary. It's good to have someone raised from the dead physically. It's wonderful. Like What, what a joy. I, I, I've never seen it. <laughs> it's wonderful. You know, it, it's, it's really cool that Lazarus rose from the dead, but he had to die a second time. How do you like that? Yeah, but there's a life that God offers through Christ. It can never be snuffed out. Never be taken away. It's real. It's enduring. Jesus gave all of us insight into how we could be attached to that life. Listen, listen to these words, and they're, they're words that you're familiar with. John chapter 14 and verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, I. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth revealed. And I am the life. I'm the life you need. I'm the life that can never be taken away from you. I'm the life that will help you to endure unto everlasting life. Will give you joy and peace and fullness in the presence of God forever. I am that life. But the only way that life comes is when someone hears the words of the Son of God and believes the words of the Son of God. And when we believe, He tells us, you'll have life that can never be taken away from you. Ever, ever, no, never. Jesus is the life. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 15 and verse 48, the last Adam, that's a reference to Christ, became a life giving spirit. Jesus as God is a life giver. And why is that so significant? Because this life, um, because there is life, excuse me, beyond this one that we're living. The life that Jesus offers is abundant. It's eternal. And it's filled with the fruits of love, joy, and peace. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, the thief came only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I know so many of you, and I know so many of your testimony that you have recognize that you're, you're a sinner. You are, not were, are a sinner. And you recognize that that sin properly, rightly, warranted you with separation from God and condemnation and judgment. But upon seeing yourself as a sinner in your great need, you are also presented with the reality that in Jesus is life. That Jesus died already 
to bear your sin debt and your condemnation and your judgment. So you saw that sin and you turned from your sin and you turned toward Jesus Christ and you believed and God granted you this life. And so you know what it means when Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. You've tasted the life of eternity. You've had little glimpses. God has given you a down payment of the joy and glory to come when He gave you His Spirit. So you know what this feels like, but there are so many that that don't. There are so many that they've only experienced the one who has come to steal and kill and destroy. But as those who have experienced life and its abundance, you and I need to be testifying to a world around us that does not yet know the joy of Jesus the life giver. He came as a baby. He came and He was more than meets the eye. He is the Creator. He is the life. Back in John chapter 1, as we go a little further, next week we're going to talk about Jesus is the light. So we're not going to talk about that this morning. Next week we will. Jesus is the light. That's in verses 4-11. through But Jesus is the Savior. Look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus is the Savior. This passage says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This passage, you'll notice, doesn't talk about Jesus as Savior. It doesn't use those words. But it is very much, verses 12 and 13, they are very much about Jesus being the Savior. Because we are born outside, outside of God's family. Again, that is not the popular understanding in religious circles. In religious circles, everyone's a child of God. Now, the way that Acts 17 differentiates between child of God, like we talk about here as an adopted son or an adopted daughter of God, and the offspring of God are two different things. Because Acts 17 talks about how everyone is an offspring of God. In other words, God created everyone. And from one bloodline, he created all the people that are upon all the face of the earth. Because when God created Adam and Eve, there from them became all the nations. Everyone's an offspring of God. God is the creator of every man. However, we're not all part of his family. We're not born in the family of God. In fact, there's a transition that takes place for those that come to know Christ as their Savior. We're transitioned from the kingdom of darkness, talk about that next week, into the kingdom of the Son of His love, or the Beloved Son. We're transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. That kingdom is the family of God. It's beautiful. This comes as a result of Jesus' saving work. Many reject the light that comes through Jesus, but many have received Him in verse 12. Many have received Him, and when they receive Him in verse 12, they become children of God. 
when a person believes in his name, again, look at, look at verse 12 again, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. The, the concept of someone being believing in Jesus' name is they're, they're believing in everything the Bible reveals about him. One Bible commentator says this, his name, speaking of Jesus, his name refers to the totality of Christ's being, all that he is and does. Thus, it is not possible to separate his deity from his humanity, his being Savior from his being Lord, or his person from his redemptive work. Saving faith accepts Jesus Christ in all that the Scripture reveals concerning him. And so what happens when a person calls upon the name of the Lord? God takes them and places them into his family. He makes them alive. He recreates them. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. How does that happen? When we believe on Christ, God changes us and He places us into His family. We're saved. Jesus is the Savior. Finally, not only is Jesus the Creator, and Jesus is the life, and Jesus is the light, and Jesus is the Savior, Jesus, as we started, Jesus is God in the flesh. Look at verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. For from His fullness we have all received... Will you read the next three words with me? Grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's right hand. He has made Him known. Well, there's a lot in this passage. This, this actually, you could take weeks and, and, and break this down. I want for us to see the reality that he tells us that God tabernacled among us. It says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word means tabernacle. And it brings our minds back to the Old Testament. When God, in His kindness to the people of Israel, said, I want to dwell among you. I want to lead you by the day with a pillar of cloud. And I want to lead you at night with the pillar of fire. And you see that whole tabernacle scene that is portrayed in the book of uh, Exodus. God wanted to dwell among His people. It's a beautiful concept. And He did, in fact, dwell among them. And He led them. And He provided for them. And He saved them again and again and again in the face of all of their rebellion in the face of all of their unfaithfulness. God was faithful. And then God comes in this ultimate tabernacling in a way that could be approached. Who got to approach the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and temple? The high priest, once a year, and that not without blood. I wonder how much trembling 
went into that person's soul before he entered that curtain. And then, God took it to a whole different level. And He tabernacled among us. And you know, instead of there being fear associated with the approach, do you remember that the disciples were pushing the little kids away? And Jesus says, oh no, 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 no. No, this this is not how it's going to go. Let them come to Me. God tabernacling among us in a way that people, even children, could approach Him. Glorious and too much to cover right now. God in the flesh. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth were demonstrated clearly. It's not that grace and truth were non-existent. They are demonstrated clearly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, I had you read the words to verse 16 again. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I think I've recently talked about this, so forgive me, but it's, it is a beautiful concept. The Greek word is Christ, uh, charis, grace. Anti. Not like you're anti-M or anything. Anti meaning like instead of. Caress, grace. Grace instead of grace. It's a word picture. Well, I'm going to give you some grace. No, 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 no. Uh, Instead of that, I'm going to give you some grace. No, 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 no. no. Instead of that, I'm going to give you some grace. That's the concept. It's a word picture. We don't see it. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Like the Waves of the ocean. They just keep on coming in. And you know, some people with the waves of the ocean, they ride them. And some people with the waves of the ocean, they, they look and they're in awe of the crashing of the waves. And some people ignore them. And many that have ignored those crashing, beautiful, powerful waves have perished in their wake as the riptide pulls them out or the waves keep on crashing and keeping them under. Waves are not just beautiful. They are also treacherously powerful. And God has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ in waves upon waves of grace. What do we do with that? Well, if we ignore that grace, it is to our own destruction and peril. But God has laid His Son out and those waves of grace have come one after the other. And what do we do? I I, I encourage you, if you've not done this, we call upon the name of the Lord. And what will He do? He will save us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Saved from what? Your sin. Your sin that keeps you at odds. It makes you an enemy. You're at enmity with God. But His waves of grace, they're coming in. 
And you don't need to stay at enmity with God. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. He'll take that sin. He'll remove it forever. And He'll grant you life in its place. He'll grant you righteousness in its place. He'll give you life that could never be snuffed out and life that could never be compared to anything else. God's waves of grace are relentless. You know, entering into eternity without Jesus Christ results in condemnation because you and I do not meet in of our own accord God's standard of righteousness. But God offers you the gift of His righteousness, which is perfect and satisfying. Jesus offers you life. Life for today and life for ever with God. You know, there's no gift that comes close to that. No motorcycle, no truck, no house. Man, I'm so blessed. But all the physical stuff, it's all going to rot away. Someday I'm going to have to leave all of that stuff or it's going to leave me one way or the other. But what Jesus offers to you is Himself. And He is enough. He gives life and He gives it in abundance. For those who have experienced this gift, we know His value and we praise Him and we proclaim Him. For those who have not received Him, this could be the day that you experience the greatest gift that anyone could experience. I just challenge you. Look here. Look at yourself. Am I ready for heaven? What am I going to do if I meet God today or tomorrow? What, what will I say? If you've trusted Christ, you know what to say. Look at Him. <laughs> I'm here and I stand confidently in His righteousness and you... I have a right here. I have a place here. I have a right to be called the child of God. If you call upon the name of the Lord today, you too can know. If you stand before God, you have a place that you belong and that you'll be there forever without interruption. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, You're so good. Your kindness astounds us. Your Son is amazing in His creative work, in His life-giving work, in His saving us, and in His constant offerings of grace, we rejoice. You have blessed us beyond measure. We pray that You'd help us never to look for other things to satisfy us when we have the greatest and most sustaining, sufficient satisfying gift. Help us to offer Your gift of salvation to others in the person of Jesus Christ. Give us boldness. Give us confidence. Use us. And Father, we pray for anyone here that's never trusted Christ that even today they would call upon His name and have life and have it abundantly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.